This is Scott, host of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast and Black author. You could get all three of my books. My first book, Systematic Racism and Capitalism, Alliance of Oppression. My second book, Hypocrisy in America, The Veil of White Supremacy. And my third book, my first novel, Exodus 2035, all available on Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle. If you don't have a Kindle, you can download the Kindle app to your smartphone or tablet, and you can access those products. Thanks for listening. <laughs> you can request us on the Alexa machine. Um, don't forget you and you network. You can find that on Instagram, you and you underscore network, where you can find all the shows. Where we go though. Shout out to the you and you network. You know what I'm saying? And all those podcasts that's on you and you network. As the link for the you and you network, brothers at you and you network. You can check out the socials at you. A-N-D-U underscore network. Welcome to the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Everybody should be following me on Instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge. And as you heard in the promo, everybody should be following the U-N-U network on Instagram. U-A-N-D-U underscore network click the link tree in the bio you can access this podcast as well as all other podcasts under the um, under the umbrella of the network dropping new content daily all the time best network on the planet best content on the planet i am part of that let's get right into it he did keep his comments brief saying the details of his reasoning on sentencing 22 and a half years, that's the prison sentence that was handed down today for former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd. It is the longest sentence in the U.S. for a white officer who took the life of a black man in recent history, but it's short of what prosecutors had been seeking. Our John Collins was downtown when the sentence was announced, and he joins me now. Hi, John. Hey, Stephen. This is the judge's decision. What did he say about how he came to the number? So state guidelines recommended about 12 and a half years for someone like Chauvin who didn't have a criminal record. So this is 10 years higher than that. And this is the first time Judge Peter Cahill really spoke to Chauvin about how he felt about the case. He did keep his comments brief, saying the details of his reasoning on sentencing can be found in his written order. And that's a 22-page memo that was just released. But Cahill did acknowledge the pain of the Floyd family and of the community, but said his sentencing was based purely on the law. I'm not going to attempt to be profound or clever because it's not the appropriate time. I'm not basing my sentence also on public opinion. I'm not basing it on any attempt to send any messages. And in his ruling, Cahill did write that the stiffer sentence was justified by a number of aggravating factors. He said Chauvin, quote, treated Mr. Floyd without respect and denied him the dignity owed to all human beings. And Cahill also noted the killing was especially cruel and that it amounted to an abuse of Chauvin's authority. We should say, though, the sentence was not as tough as the 30 years that prosecutors were asking for here. All right, Officer Derek Chauvin has been sentenced to 22 years. 
22 years in prison for the murder of George Floyd. Everybody saw the video. Everybody saw the knee on the neck. Everybody knows what he did. It's not controversial. It's not speculative. It's not up for debate. He did it. Minnesota guidelines called for a 12-year sentence. Think about that. White officer murders this black man, should have been charged with a hate crime, but wasn't. A 12-year sentence because he never had any previous criminal convictions. And, you know, they take into account that he was an officer. If he would have got 12 years, man, that's a light sentence. The prosecution was pushing for 30 years. The judge in this case, he gave him 10 years over the recommended 12-year sentence. So he came up with 22 years. I still think... He will not do any more than five. I don't care. First of all, that this is the longest sentence that an officer who murdered a black man has ever gotten 22 years. Think about that for a second. I don't my opinion. I don't care if he got 22 life sentences. I still don't think he'll do more than five. I think he's going to fight this on appeal. I think on appeal, he'll say he was not able to get a fair trial. The jury was not impartial because of, number one, international media pressure. This thing became a media spectacle because of, quote unquote, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, that's a code word for, for niggers, right? They're not talking about the organization. They, they're talking about all black people. You know, people were afraid that Black Lives Matter would, would, would riot, would, would burn down businesses, bully people, would threaten people's lives if this jury didn't come back with a, with a guilty verdict. So, you know, the jury felt threatened. The jury felt pressured. The jury felt, felt bullied. And because of all these factors, they were unable to be impartial. And because of that, he did not get a fair trial. And I think he will beat this thing on appeal. And I don't think he'll do no more than five years. How do you tell a true prophet by his prophecies? I think Derek Chauvin will be home by the end of 2026. It's 2021 right now. He got convicted of murder in a court of law. Guilty as hell. Everybody's seen him do it. He gets a sentence of 22 years. They're nonviolent drug offenders who get prison sentences way harsher than that. The Biden administration wants to end federal sentencing disparities for drug crimes. Currently, sentences involving crack cocaine are much harsher than those involving powder cocaine. And critics say the laws target black and Hispanic Americans more than white Americans. Here's NPR addiction correspondent Brian Mann. At a Senate hearing yesterday, Matthew Charles testified about his arrest in the 1990s for selling crack cocaine. It was a nonviolent crime, but he went to prison for more than three decades. I didn't need a sentence of 35 years, especially when 20 of those years were due to the fact that I sold one type of cocaine rather than another. Congress passed the harsh law in response to the crack epidemic. Sentencing guidelines for crack are currently 18 times more severe than for powder cocaine. Studies show that led to far more people of color winding up behind bars. Yesterday, the Biden administration signaled support for a bill that would eliminate the more severe crack cocaine rules. Regina LaBelle, head of the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy, testified before the Senate panel. The current disparity is not based on evidence. It has caused significant harm for decades, particularly for individuals, families, and communities of color. And it's past time for it to end. 
Other major pieces of drug war era policy have already been dismantled, and this would represent another significant step. Some Republicans support the reform. Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, a former U.S. attorney, testified yesterday the current law is racially biased and erodes confidence in the criminal justice system. It's unclear whether the bill can garner enough support for passage in the gridlocked Senate. Several Republican lawmakers said yesterday easing punishment rules for crack cocaine sends the wrong message at a time when drugs smuggled into the U.S. from Mexico are killing tens of thousands of Americans every year. So this brother in the 90s, he got busted for a nonviolent drug offense, a nonviolent drug offense. He got 35 years for selling crack cocaine and he did all 35 crack cocaine is a cheap drug it's a step down version of powder cocaine how much crack cocaine look i've never been a crack dealer i've never been a drug dealer shouldn't be selling drugs but the punishment needs to fit the crime here's the thing in america systematic racism white supremacy runs every thing all control all aspects of human activity how much crack cocaine do you think this brother had on in the 90s how much you think he had on let's say he was rolling big let's say he let's say he was busted with five thousand dollars worth let's say he had ten thousand dollars worth which is a lot of crack ten thousand dollars worth that's a whole lot so let's say he had ten thousand dollars worth on him 35 years nonviolent crime didn't kill anybody didn't murder anybody didn't put a knee on anybody's neck and snuff the life out of him he got 35 years Derek Chauvin got 22 Amber Gagri I remember her the police officer down in down in Dallas Texas that murdered both them John and her excuse was oh she thought you know she was she walked into his apartment shot and killed him and she thought it was her apartment She's on a pill right now, guys, and it's looking like she's about to get out. She had her appeal trial April 27th, where she argued that her her legal representation argued that she should be released. The judge heard, heard both sides and he has not set a date for his ruling yet. I anticipate it to happen before the end of the summer, and I think she's going to get out. The same way I think Derek Chauvin's going to get out on appeal as well. But since we're talking about people getting out, breaking news today, Bill Cosby is being released from prison after the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania vacated his 2018 conviction on sexual assault charges and judgment of sentence, according to a court spokesperson. Cosby was sentenced in 2018 to 10 years in a state prison for drugging and sexually assaulting Andrea Constant at his home back in 2005. For those of you who don't know, anytime a court vacates a ruling, vacating is different than overturning. Vacating means you should have never been tried in the first place. Vacating is almost like an annulment. All right. When people get married and they get an annulment legally, you were never married. Once a court decision gets vacated legally, you were never convicted of anything. A panel of Pennsylvania State Supreme Court judges ruled that there was a vast violation of Bill Cosby's due process rights when he was criminally charged and convicted. 
over a decade after a previous prosecutor had declined to prosecute him in order to urge him to suit up for a civil disposition instead, which was ultimately used against him in his criminal trial. All right. Basically, here's what happened. Andrea Constant sued Bill Cosby in a civil court, not a criminal court, back in 2005, where she settled out of court for reportedly a settlement close to four million dollars. Now, back in 2005, because the prosecutor agreed to charge Mr. Cosby in a civil case and not a criminal case, all of the evidence in use in this civil case between him and Andre Constant back in 2005, legally it cannot be used in this criminal trial that took place place in 2018. All right, that violates the double jeopardy law. That violates suing taking somebody to court twice for the exact same thing, right? All of the evidence and everything used in that trial legally could not be used in the 2018 trial. Out of all the people that accused Bill Cosby of sexual misconduct, the only one that really had any hard evidence that the court ruled on was Andrea Constant. And that should not have been used in the 2018 trial legally, regardless of what I think about Mr. Cosby, regardless about what you think about Mr. Cosby. The Supreme Court of Pennsylvania is saying, like, this is the law legally that should have never been used. And because this was the evidence used to convict you in the 2018 trial, we have to vacate it because we should have never used it. Right. This doesn't have anything to do with how of how in of what anybody thinks or feel personally. This is the letter of the law. So that's why his conviction is being vacated and he's being released. Now, here's the question we all have to ask ourselves. The civil suit between Andre Constant and Bill Cosby that happened back in 2005. This is public record. Everybody knows about this. They talked about this in the 2018 trial. No new laws have been raised. The court knew in 2018 they should not have been using this evidence from the 2005 trial. They knew that was a violation of the law. They knew that was a violation of the agreement that the prosecution had made in 2005 when they decided to take it to a civil trial. So why did they use it? Why did they say, look, Ah, uh, forget about all that. We know this. We shouldn't be doing this. This is actually this actually is against the law. It's actually illegal. It's actually a violation of his civil liberties. The timing is very interesting that they are letting him out now. Got another prediction for you. They're getting ready to let Amber Geiger out. And because they know they're getting ready to let Amber Geiger out, they're letting Bill Cosby out, who they know procedurally they violated his rights in convicting him on evidence used in that 2005 trial. Anyway, this is 4th of July weekend. Hope everybody has a happy and safe holiday. Of course, 4th of July is considered America's birthday, July 4th, 1776. When that is the day recognized when America came, became, won the Revolutionary War and became an independent country. I would urge everybody to Google and read Frederick, the poem by the late, great Frederick Douglass. What does 4th of July mean to a slave? Let's remind ourselves of the context before we hit the barbecues and the 
and uh, go see the fireworks, right? Context is important. And while we're talking about history, while we're talking about 4th of July, how many people realize that in 1812, the War of 1812 was really the Revolutionary War Part 2, right? Quick breakdown. During the Revolutionary War, Great Britain promised enslaved black people, if you come fight for Great Britain against the 13 colonies, because it was not a country yet, it was 13 colonies and rebellion against Great Britain because they wanted to form their own country. Great Britain promised enslaved black Americans. If you come fight for us against the 13 colonies, we'll give you freedom and a few other concessions. So you had enough black slaves who went to fight for grit for Great Britain because they wanted their freedom. So America won the Revolutionary War, but the War of 1812, Great Britain. Britain came back. That's what the War of 1812 is. They came back because they wanted to reclaim the 13 colonies. They fought a war and Great Britain brought back with them a band of soldiers called the British Colonial Marines. Do a quick Google search. The British Colonial Marines War of 1812. This was a special regiment of black soldiers that were fighting for Great Britain who were former slaves. After the Revolutionary War, they went over to England to live and then they came back. The former slaves came back in the War of 1812 as the British Colonial Marines to fight against America. How many of you know that during the War of 1812, the White House was actually burned to the ground? That White House that we see today that was built by slaves, the original White House was set on fire. The original White House was built by slaves as well. The British, the British colonial marines are credited for setting the White House on fire and burning it to the ground. That's this week's. If you didn't know, now you know. You can look it up. This is real scholarship. And while we are here, while we are talking about everything going on in the earth, I just want to talk to the people about real scholarship. Look, we live in the information age. It's right there at your fingertips. I know a lot of people get their news from Twitter, from Instagram. You got YouTube. You got all types of sources to get all types of information from. But we must use discernment. Look that word up. That's the word of the word of the week. Discernment. You have to use that when you're deciphering information. I want to talk about what scholarship is and what scholarly debate is. Right. Let me take you back to school for a second. What is scholarship? Scholarship means this. It's scholarly work. It's research. It's listing sources. It's archaeology. Evidence. First hand source, primary source and a secondary source. Just because someone does scholarly work doesn't make them right. OK, that's a misconception. Just when someone does scholarly work, they say, look, this is the point I'm trying to convey. And here's the evidence to back up my point. Here are my references. Here are my sources. What's the difference between a primary source and a secondary source? Here's an example. A primary source. I went to a fight party last week 
and this is what I did at the fight party. I was there. I'm a primary source. Here's a secondary source. My wife went to a fight party last week and she told me this is what happened. She was there and she told me what happened. So I'm your secondary source. I wasn't there, but I got the story directly from someone who was there. Am I taking you back to school? References. This is the point I'm trying to make and here's the evidence that I'm using. And here's where I got that evidence from. Here's my reference. Okay. I use these authors. I looked at this archaeology. I did this research. I went there for myself and I saw it. I went there I went there and I talked to the people firsthand. Here's my references. Here's how I'm coming up to my conclusion. All right. Scholarly work is not opinion based. Now you can have an opinion. We do. I'm in the podcast business. We have opinions about a lot of stuff. Right? What I try to do is I try to back up all my opinions by logic, facts, and common sense. Right? I love facts and I love logic. Here is the dangers of the information age. Unfortunately, it has created a lot of lazy learners and YouTube scholars. YouTube cannot be your primary source. It's very entertaining. It can make you think, but you still got to go out and do research. Can't be a lazy learner. There's a certain thing called scholarly debate. Two academics, they go against each other. One has a point. The other one has a counterpoint and they present their evidence. And it's up to the audience to decide. It's up to the audience to come to a conclusion on who was right, who was wrong, what information was convincing, what information was not convincing. That's a scholarly debate. But you have to use real references. You have to give real scholarship. Unfortunately, in the age we live in, it's all about attention. It's all about clickbait. It's all about views. It's all about how many eyeballs can I look at this thing? Right? Because there's money tied up in that. So you have too many people online who are purposely giving misleading and incorrect information and passing it off as scholarly work because they want views. This is why I said you must use discernment. You can believe anything you want to believe. But you have to ask yourself, is this scholarly work? Well, what type of evidence did this person present? And did, did this evidence make sense? I'll use myself as an example. You can find my work on Amazon.com. Hypocrisy in America, the veil of white supremacy. It is available on Amazon.com. I wrote a book and the point of my book is America is a hypocritical country and it's ran by systemic racism, white supremacy. That's my point. Here are my references. I have about mm, six, seven chapters. In every chapter, I make several points. For every point I leave, I have about three or four references. I have probably around between 50 and 60 different references in the book to back up what I'm saying so it's not just me sitting down giving my opinion on things. I can give the research. I can give the history. I can give the facts. And I cite all my sources so you can look it up and do the knowledge yourself. All right. Am I up for a Nobel Prize? No. Am I up for New York Times Author of the Year? No. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> I wouldn't put myself in that category, but I list my sources. If someone wants to make a YouTube or a reel or a TikTok and they're trying to make a point, they have to pro they should provide some type of source or at least logic. You can't make a YouTube video saying Harriet Tuckman didn't exist and that Turner was not a real person and you present no evidence. That's not scholarly work. That's an opinion. If you believe that, fine. But if you're going to pass that off as a fact, you have to provide evidence. What evidence do you have? Solid evidence. You can't present circumstantial evidence. We may have heard that word in the court of law. Circumstantial is opinion based. Opinion based. You cannot pass circumstantial evidence off as proof. That's not how it works. We have to use our brains, people. We got to think. I understand that we live in a system of white supremacy. And when you live in a system of white supremacy, it's good to question everything because we have been misled and miseducated and lied to for so long. We don't know what's real. Right. That's what the system is meant to do. It's meant to confuse you. It's meant to confuse you in all aspects of people activity. But that's why we have to do scholarly work and we have to use common sense and we can't be easily fooled. This has been this week's episode of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. If you want to drop a donation on the Cash App, the Cash App is dollar sign U-K-P-O-D. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.